I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome into another episode of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, as always, joined by Philip Slavin. How you doing, man? Uh, well, this, like all my other podcasts at this point, uh, you can probably hear a child crying in the background. Um, that is the answer to my question. To the that, question. That, that's fair enough. Uh, I, won't, I won't dive too much more into that one. I'm sure that... Uh, uh, you don't need to talk about it any more than you already have, I'm sure, on your other shows. No. No. So here we are. We're. Uh... I look forward to that here in about a month <laughs> because I'm sure my uh, you'll be hearing the same on my end here pretty soon. It all depends, man. Uh, Pippa was good. It was great. Pippa, Pippa, I mean, yeah, nighttime was – she could have some not tough nights, but she's yeah. pretty good. Uh, the problem for Emmy is that Emmy has uh, essentially – baby acid reflux oh yeah so for a child of five weeks it burns like a mother yeah. so every time instead of feeding being a soothing and relaxing experience for her like it generally is for kids uh it's the opposite um and the best medication you can get for them at this age uh essentially takes as long up to three weeks to fully like kick in and neutralize the problem. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, and we just started five days ago um, because we didn't know until five days ago, what, why, what the problem was, why she was struggling so much, why she couldn't calm down. Why? So, uh, I I know some people care about personal things in podcasts and some don't just understand. Um, if I'm grumpy tonight, <laughs> it's an understandable that thing. Is a, that is a small fraction of why. Fair enough, man. Well, we got two fantastic interviews for you on this episode. We are going to be talking with uh, Haley Hart. You know, she graduated from Oklahoma State last year. She was you've seen her probably around on Oklahoma State Twitter quite a bit. She did some great stuff for the Ocali. And now she has, is starting a website called, what was it called? Scrap the Playbook? You, you're going to need to help me out on this Scrap one. Scrap the Playbook? Not, not a problem. I booked, as I booked you, most you of You booked this uh, one. Uh, Allie is joining us, I guess, former uh, Oklahoma State uh, sports media graduate, former intern at, uh, at the Oklahoma and Stillwater News Press. Uh, she created a website called Scrap the Playbook, which is, uh, as it's described by the Twitter uh, bio, a multimedia outlet dedicated to highlighting women who work in sports. Um, I think it's neat. Uh, her very first interview she was able to do for the site uh, was with uh, uh, Beth Mowens, uh, play-by-play announcer for ESPN. Um, so uh, usually during the summer or like last summer, we, we, you know, we wanted to highlight former Oklahoma State athletes or people who had gone on to work in, in sports media and things of that nature. Uh, we didn't really do that this summer uh, in large part because we didn't do much of anything this summer because it's been a weird summer. Uh, but this felt like a cool thing to, to try and, and highlight. So she's going to join us to talk about it here in a minute. And then uh, my good friend Kelly Hines of the Tulsa World are going to join us. We're going to talk a little, little TU, kind of do our, our TU preview now and talk about the fact that they had to uh, pause temporarily uh, practice um, due to the coronavirus and the number of cases they were dealing with. So that that's obviously going to be a topic of discussion. It's a big deal for Oklahoma State and for anybody, you know, if you, when you see that pop up for a team on your schedule, it makes you go, oh, well, that's not good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely going to put a pause on things because we're roughly three weeks out from what should be uh, week one of the college football season. But with Tulsa having to you know, put a pause on things for right now, I don't know if they've resumed practice yet or not. 
But they have. They have. They have? As okay. of, I believe as of Saturday, they have. Okay, cool. Practice. I hadn't seen anything, so I wasn't 100% sure. This is great radio. I just look like a dipshit who, doesn't, who hasn't done any sort of research or know what the heck's going on. So, uh, Looks like. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> no, no lies detected there, my friend. But it's uh, uh, all right. Sorry. But I'm glad to hear the Tulsa's back and getting going because when I saw that, I didn't know how long that was going to take or how because I knew they had to do contact tracing and some other things. Uh, I was with anything. Well, they always, they always uh, right say now. indefinitely, which you know could mean a couple of days. Or it, indefinitely is the most like daunting like word to describe a time period. Oh, God, indefinitely yeah. could yeah. just be for eternity, or it could mean. A day, but it's yeah. it's generally implied to sound like a long period of time. I think it was three days for TU, which okay. is not that big a deal. Yeah. But you know, when you say indefinitely, it's just like, well, that's not happening. So you know, we need another word. We need a word that's less threatening than indefinitely. That's a little more like, oh, just like for like for a bit, for a bit, a bit sounds like a smaller. Like it's for a bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, just, how just long is a bit? bit? It's what it is. It's everyone has an interpretation of a bit, but yeah. The only thing indefinitely I can think of is that the, the St. Louis Cardinals didn't play a game for like three weeks with everything that went on there. That was an indefinite period of time. <laughs> so, the, so there you go. Uh, so before we get to Hallie, uh, one, one thing I think we should talk about as far as Oklahoma State goes, the schedule just got more annoying to me. Okay. Because I can already see what's going to happen. So for those who don't know, TCU uh, quarterback expected starting quarterback. Max, Max Dugan, Dugan, yeah. Uh, it was Max Dugan. And it's Duggan. No, he's Duggan. You're right, man. I am 0 for 3 today. This is terrible. Who's the one with the crying child in the background? Me or you? I don't. I guess I'm pre-positioning my. I'm I'm pre-planning myself for that to happen here. So I'm just like you can't have baby brain before the kid gets here. That's not that's not a good dude. I already don't sleep a lot to begin with. So I mean, this is gonna be rough. You sleep, my friend. It's 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 becoming a valuable commodity. Um. So, uh, Duggan. Uh, they basically they found a, a a heart condition. It's not related to coronavirus. It's something he's had forever, and they they were able to spot it. Um, so he has had that taken care of. Um, the question now is whether or not he will be um, he will play this season at all, or if he's just gonna play miss part of the season. He's gonna miss the season for a while. He may miss the whole season. But let's just let's just go with the idea of the most Oklahoma State thing possible. Because Oklahoma State, who had originally was going to start conference play at TCU, I like that without Max. I like that. That sounds great. Well, now end the season at TCU, and does that not now scream Max Duggan comes back like for the last three weeks of the and season. lights the world on fire against and us? Just, yes, of course. Just just shows the ceiling for what Max Duggan can be in that game, and completely screws OSU's like Big Twelve title appearance Maybe. hopes. I mean, it's 2020. Anything is possible. This has been a shit show enough of a year. I just that would just be a cherry on top. I don't mean to be like. I don't mean to to downplay the what what's going on with Max Duggan. I hope you know that everything is okay and speedy recovery. But it would just be peak, just making Oklahoma State's life just awful. It would it really would be. But you know, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I guess. So so again, I, now I wish they had had left that game early on. No, uh, maybe again. Could, why do we have to get Kansas so early? Why couldn't I we know, get someone else? I know. There? We talked about that at TCU. Would have been great. Would have been great. I just, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. It's fine. Well, we'll, well um, I'm sure we'll have more scheduling takes because that's Phillips, uh, Phillips thing, you know, as we're as we move along here. But we're got to get into our interview with Hallie Hart. We will hear. Uh, you'll hear for that interview right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Philip and I are now joined by Hallie Hart. She's an Oklahoma State sports media graduate last year, and she's a former intern with Oklahoma, the Oklahoman. She's doing sports stuff there, Stillwater News Press intern as well. Um, she does some great work for the Ocali, if you can go back and find that. She did some really great work there. And she currently is working at a site that she created called Scrap the Playbook. It is a way to uh, – 
media outlet to highlight women in sports and women in sports media. It's a fantastic thing. Uh, one of our first interviews was Beth Moens. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But Hallie, how are you doing tonight? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing great. Thank you all so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, no, thanks for coming. I, I, I will say uh, I've been kind of following your career since you were at Oklahoma State. I, I forget at what point it started, but I, I, you, have, you did some really good stuff with your colleague. You, you were an excellent writer, um, and I've been really impressed with what you've done so far. So it's, it's a pleasure for us to get you on here. Um, you know, last summer we spent the summer trying to get former athletes and, and, and OSU alum on the show to, to talk about life after playing sports like working in sports media and things of that nature um we didn't do a good job this summer in our defense it it was a weird summer um so you know we're gonna get you on and that's that's enough for this year that'll be that'll be good we get one (laughs) thank you so much i think that's great so let's just we're gonna get to the the site because i'm really excited to talk about that but just kind of walk us through what your time in stillwater was like what was what was your time at oklahoma state like for you Yeah, so Oklahoma State really gave, I have to give all credit to Oklahoma State because it really gave me all the foundations I needed in journalism, starting before I was even a student. Um, When I was in high school, I went to the sports media camp that Dave Hunziker has there. And so I did that for two different summers. I did that. And that was what really made me fall in love with the program. And then after that, you know, from the second I was there, whether it was the Ocali or getting involved in the classroom or some of the stuff with O State TV, there were really so many opportunities to, you know, immerse myself in opportunities where it could be kind of like I was a real world journalist, even though I still was a student, because that's how the school's set up. So um, yeah, my time at Oklahoma State was awesome. I had incredible mentors there, both in the professors at the school and in the people who were my editors at the Ocali. And I still keep up with them to this day and ask them for advice. And we'll continue to do that. I know whatever I do in the future. So I've been really thankful for Oklahoma State. Was there ever a time in your, your time at Oklahoma State, you got to do tons of interviews and tons of great, you know, stories and, and personality stuff with people. Was there ever a point where you could kind of, you got to kind of take a step back and go, holy crap, I got to interview this person or this person or kind of just have a little moment of like, wow, what a cool job I have. Yeah, there were several moments like that, but I think one that stands out in my mind was when I got to interview, well, I guess two, when I got to interview Joey Graham and Ivan McFarlane, just because that was the team that really made me fall in love with basketball. When I was a little kid, my family went to the Final Four in San Antonio, and so those were kind of those first basketball players that I watched and you know learned all about Eddie Sutton's defense focused coaching style and all that so then to interview them and think like wow if I could go back and tell that little kid that someday you're going to be interviewing them writing feature stories about them that just would seem kind of surreal to me so that was definitely one of those moments especially because the Ivan McFarland interview was in Heritage Hall so it was like where the Oklahoma State history was too so that was really cool. I think I think you and I might be kindred spirits. Uh, so that is the team that also made me uh, become a diehard Oklahoma State fan and a college basketball fan. So uh, that is really cool. Granted, you and I are much separated in age, but that is really cool. That's really exciting. Yeah. So I, oh, okay. Let me let me ask this then. Um, so that was one of the like wow interviews. Did you ever have an interview that you walked away from and were just like, what just happened? I don't even, like, I don't even know how to write the story. I'll figure it out. But like, I don't even know what just happened. There definitely were some like that. I'd have to think back as far as specific examples, but you know, you never know what to expect going into an interview just because it's so many different personalities, especially if it's one where you've got a media scrum and a bunch of people asking different questions, then the conversations can definitely go in a bunch of directions and there's a lot of information um, to keep up with for that. And, you know, some personalities that you interview, I mean, some interviews, of course, with coach Gundy have definitely been interesting and entertaining, but then there's also been some, I mean, I remember when I was, I guess this was a cool one too, but when I was at the Oklahoman, we actually had the opportunity to interview Johnny Bench and 
obviously that was so cool. And he's such a character that that was just, you know, any question that he was asked, he was pretty much an open book, would just tell it, you know, say what was on his mind, speak his mind about stuff. So that was awesome. But that was also one of like the funniest interviews that I can remember to this day. As a baseball nerd, that's really, really cool. <laughs> you, you talk about, you, uh, you know, getting interviewed Joey Graham and Ivan McFarlane. That made you an Oklahoma State fan. And I'm sure covering the school that you have a little bit of an affinity for, you're obviously spending a lot of money going to school there. But so how were you, how difficult was it for you to kind of separate the kind of the journalism side where you have to, you know, kind of take a lot of the bias out of it and just tell the story the way it is. But still, you know, how, how hard was it to balance that side of it? That's an interesting question. It actually, I'd say it was not difficult going into it. I maybe kind of, you know, didn't really know what to expect. And then I went to an Ocali meeting and they pretty much just laid out the rules and were like, here's the deal, you know, don't wear orange in your profile pictures. Like there's no go hoax, no cheering in the press box. Of course, it's going to be taking an objective stance. And I think because my personality type is kind of like a rule follower type, I guess, that's what made it easy just because I knew, okay, you know, to work my way up in this organization and to do, to follow that precedent that the editors who are so professional have set, I want to do the same way. So I'd really say that's what has made it not difficult is just seeing those mentors who were there before me and seeing how they handled themselves, you know, not from a fan perspective and more from just, I'm going to tell the story how it is. I'm going to get to know these people and tell their stories. I think that was what made it where I could kind of, you know, look at their example and try to be the same way about it. Uh, Was there one person that you really wanted to interview while you were in Stillwater that you didn't get the opportunity to? Hmm. That is interesting. Of course, I'm trying to think as far as someone within the program at Oklahoma State. Of course, someone I've always thought it would be cool to interview would be, you know, like Barry Sanders, someone like that, that I didn't get to interview. Um, But I'm trying to think as far as people within the program. One thing I would say is I think when I was at Oklahoma State, I wished I had put myself in a few more situations to cover women's sports at Oklahoma State. Because this website that I've started was kind of, that's another reason why I did it is because I was like, okay, now that I'm starting my own project, I really want to take the time to feature women. Because when I was at OSU, I was on the soccer beat. So those were some really cool stories to do. But it was mostly, you know, football, men's basketball, baseball, which were all great. And I loved covering those sports. But I also kind of wished I had taken a little bit more time to focus on the women's sports at Oklahoma State too. But we had some great beat writers who did that so it was awesome to see the coverage of that we're uh, we're big fans of the osu women's sports here yes and um how many soccer former soccer players have we had on the show Let's at see, bailey burmaster's a two-time guest anna beffer's been on uh, we've had colin carmichael on that was really cool to talk to the women's coach i feel like we've had one more but i can't yeah, I know we, I know we, but come on oh god hey oh adriana on. french duh there you yeah, go there we go yeah that one, is, yeah, that one escaped me for some reason. I'm is that it? Man, it feels like we've had like 10. Well, we, we've also, I think we've also tried to line up some more that just haven't gone through yet, but we're going to try we need, to get more. We need more. Yeah. We need more. Yeah, we need more. That's great. The soccer team was always fun to interview. I always enjoyed those. So I imagine those were fun podcast episodes probably. Hey, talking to Coach Carmichael was really cool. And he also yeah, has a cool, he has, and he has an English accent. So it was just really cool just to listen to him. Just, just, I could just let him talk for like 30 minutes. I didn't have to say a word. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, former softball players and soccer players in Oklahoma State are always fun to talk to. And if yes. you've never had a chance to talk with Bailey Burmaster, do yourself a favor, just follow her on Twitter. She's a riot. And then just DM her because she will – yeah, just trust she, me. She would go on your site in a heartbeat. Let, so let's go into that. Um, yeah. I feel like this is a good segue into your, your new website, Scrap the Playbook. So, like, you talked a little bit about wanting to do something like this. When did the light bulb kind of go off? Like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and start this thing. It was just during the summer when I was really, you know, sitting at home during quarantine, as a lot of people were then. Um, And my summer internship had been canceled. So I had a sports internship with the Tulsa World, and then that was canceled. Of course, I was sad about it, but obviously understood why that had to happen. Because, you know, so many internships across the country 
were canceled and there weren't sports going on to really cover at that point anyway. So I kind of thought, what's a way that I can still keep myself plugged into the sports community and still keep up doing what I love with writing and talking to people and all of that. And then I also thought about my time specifically as a member of Awesome, which is the Association for Women in Sports Media at OSU. And that was a place where I was able to meet people who were incredibly inspiring and connect with other women in the field, as well as, you know, the members of the group who were men too, who were supportive of women in sports media. So it was really just a great opportunity. And I thought kind of like, how can I give back to those people and do something where I can highlight women in sports, you know, whether it's not just sports media, but also whether they're in, you know, coaching or refereeing or being sports agents, any of these fields that it's still definitely kind of has been tough for women to break into those fields or women are still underrepresented in those fields is really what I want to showcase with this website. And so the idea kind of grew from there. Um, and I learned, thanks to Squarespace, learned how to build a website from scratch using that. Um, and then just kind of got going from there and used my free time, connected with some people from other universities who put their ideas together and are going to contribute to. And so I'm still just kind of seeing what direction it goes in now. But yeah, that's when the idea started. I'd say around June is probably when I came up with it. You've got one our, uh, interview up so far, and I'll, let me just say, you, for a first interview, a first guest, was a, you knocked that one out of the park. Uh, getting ESPN's Beth Mowens, uh, the play-by-play announcer, is, it was great. It was a really good read. If everybody hasn't had a chance, make sure you go check out the site and go check it out. Um, what was it like getting the opportunity to, to interview and, and talk with her? Thank you so much for the kind words, first of all. But interviewing Beth Mowens... I couldn't have asked for a better first guest to have on the show. First of all, because of course, with her being a play-by-play announcer for the podcast segment, I knew she'd be comfortable speaking. And she's just the kind of person who, like she made me comfortable too, because you feel like everything she says is so conversational and like she's really just visiting with you like you're, you know, a friend or anyone else. So I think that's definitely um, one thing that made it great. But also just to hear about the variety of experiences that she's had was so inspiring to me because of course she was the first woman to call a nationally televised NFL game so that was really her you know trailblazing experience but she's also been a voice of the women's college world series for so many years she's called world cup matches she's called dog shows she's had all these random opportunities she was a morning dj for a radio station at one point and so i think that was the best part of talking to beth moens was just to hear about her versatility and hear how she really invested herself in all those opportunities from the time she was a little kid who wanted to be a sports announcer until now. Well, I mean, if you get someone like that as your first interview, like your bucket list of people that you can get on is pretty, you know, you can get just about anybody at that point. So who were like the, we'll go top three of like your bucket list people. Like, yes, I have to, I have to interview that. I have to get them on my site. Okay, so for bucket list people, I'm going to say Mina Kimes is one because I really enjoy her work. She's super funny, super fun to watch, and also knows what she's talking about. Um, So I've always wanted to talk to her. Um, Jamel Hill is another one I would like to have on there. I know she has, um, she and Carrie Champion have their new show on Vice TV. So I'd love to talk to her about that and just her experiences too. Um, And then for someone else, I'm trying to think, I think I have, you know, I had a whole list of people I've made that I'd like to contact, but if it was really bucket list people, I think, you know, somebody on the coaching side would be interesting too. And there's several names that I could go through there, but I think, you know, some legendary women's coach would be good to have to kind of have that perspective on there too. Yeah, that would be, that would be awesome. I mean, Mina, Mina Kimes would be an start. absolute riot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. I, she's underrated. Uh, I'll put it that way. And yeah. Um, okay. So I would be remiss with what your site is about and, and having you on the show not to talk about what's going on. Obviously for those who haven't seen, there was, um, I don't remember name specifics, so I'm not going to try. Uh, 
an NHL commentator who, who made some statements that have kind of led to something on social media regarding uh, the idea that, sorry guys, you shouldn't have to be distracted by, by females working in sports. Um, obviously, as, as a female working in sports, this is one of many issues you're having to deal with on a regular basis. Um, what has that all kind of been like for you? And, and what is your kind of opinion on, on this whole thought process of like, this is, because I've seen both. I, I have seen some, some females and some women in sports come out and be like, it was a joke. It's not a big deal. Calm down. Obviously, it's not that. But I, I don't, I'm always curious from, from your perspective as someone who has to deal with it far more than what I think about it. Like I have my thoughts and I think it's, I think it's stupid. Like you shouldn't have the ideas you had to be destroyed. Oh, they're distracting. Like, shut up. It's so dumb. Um, but I'm really curious from your perspective as someone who has to deal with this on a regular basis. So I'll begin by saying, of course, since I don't know that commentator specifically, I'm not going to speak for his thoughts, but I think just in general, when things like that happen, I would say it's not even that people are coming from a bad place or they're meaning to objectify or demean women. Sometimes they are, and that's really obvious. But I think sometimes it's not even necessarily that, but it's the fact that maybe someone's trying to make a joke, but they don't think about the serious things that happen that make it not okay to joke about. And so like with this comment, you know, he was basically saying, yeah, like you said in the NHL, he was saying it's the perfect place, not even any women here to disrupt your concentration. I had the quote pulled up in front of me because I just wanted to check and see it. Um, so yeah, obviously, I mean, from my perspective, like I said, I don't know the guy, but my initial reaction wasn't to think like, oh, I think he's just terrible or I think he's just trying to insult women for that. Like, I'm sure in his, from his perspective, it was probably like, oh, I'm just joking about these guys not getting distracted. But I think the problem comes in is that those jokes are so normalized. So it kind of speaks to the bigger like culture of our society, I guess, where it's okay to just joke about women being distractions or, you know, men getting distracted by women easily, I guess, when they're doing their jobs. And so I think it's kind of like because of real discrimination that women have faced in sports as far as, you know, when you go back to like the let them wear towels, the women in that documentary who had to fight for access in locker rooms to even interview men and the argument against that was that they'd be a distraction, then that's kind of what makes the joke maybe, you know, something you shouldn't joke about. So I'm not going to say, oh, he had bad intentions, but I also think it's a really good lesson about just stepping back and, you know, becoming aware of, why jokes might not be okay and why there's certain things that you know shouldn't be said so that's my perspective on it well said well said um okay so tell me about you're not the only one on your site right now correct you have one other contributor helping you out with uh with scrap the playbook uh why don't you tell us a little bit about her so I actually, yeah, Christina Long, her bio is on the website right now. And there's also a couple of other women who their bios aren't up right now, but they are um, contributing and have helped with ideas and are, you know, interested in providing content. And so Christina is one of them. She's in Missouri. Um, I think all of them I became connected with on Twitter. I've actually not met them in person, which is kind of funny. And I guess speaks to how Twitter really connects people, especially in the journalism world. Um, so Christina, she's an excellent journalist. She actually did a series about women in sports called Breaking the Boys Club. And it was a series of articles she did. And so obviously with that skill, she would be a great person to add to this and kind of you know have experience writing about women in sports. And then um, the two others are Kennedy Landry, who just graduated from LSU, and she's done great work there. She's written about the women's gymnastics there and just a lot of really good stories. And then Aria Gerson um, from Michigan is the other one, and she just finished up an internship with USA Today. So she's done some really awesome work there. Um, and yeah, we actually all talked to each other today on a FaceTime. And I just think that's so fun to be able to share ideas with those other women um, who are around my age, you know, going through the same experience of following their sports writing dreams. 
Um, and so just to hear their ideas and kind of expand it beyond just me creating it, I think has been so far one of my favorite parts of starting this. Social media is amazing, isn't it? Oh, wow. That's, that's really, really awesome. But, you know, you got this thing off the ground in June. You already have people from all across the country that are interested in, in wanting to get in on it. I think that, that's really, really cool. Thank you. And I have to say, too, just like all thanks to them because they've been supportive. They've been people I connected with. I think it was probably after my news press internship when I connected with Aria and, you know, we've followed each other since then. So that's one thing that I think has been really awesome is just to see their work. And that inspires me too. you know, to see other women in the sports media field who are doing that work. So, yeah, shout out to Twitter for connecting me with them and so many other people, too. It it's social media is not all bad. That's for sure. There's some great yeah. things about it. That's one. I mean, look, I, I have a lot of people on our, my show. We have a lot of people on our show that I've never met in person. And I've talked to them. I don't know how many times. Heck, Joel and I have been podcasting together for a long time. We've been writing together. We've known each other for quite some time. We didn't actually meet until February. Last. The first go classic. <laughs> yeah. Like February. And we've been doing this for a long time. So this, it's, this, we're going on two years of, of doing this once, once or twice a week. And we met for one, like two days <laughs> in person. It's, it's wild how easy it is to connect with people. I and mean, we can get into the issues of social media, but I don't really want to touch that right now. I mean, heck, I but, got on freaking radio in Australia because of social media. That's a wild time. That's awesome. So, I mean, it's, it's an awesome thing to be able to find like-minded individuals and, and that – share your passions and, and, and can help you, you know, grow and get better and, and, and come together and only strengthen the voice um, of what you're trying to do. Hallie, the site is great. Um, again, for everybody who hasn't heard about it or checked it out yet, scrapthePlaybook.com. You're going to want to go and check that out. Um, Hallie, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, what's, uh, what's in the chamber? What's coming down the line? What should we be looking for from the, uh, from the site next? So I do have an interview set up. Um, I don't, <laughs> I kind of don't want to give away the people yet just because I think it would be cool, you know, for the surprise, but I do have one set up and then I've sent out a few more emails too. Um, so we'll see where it goes, but I'm definitely wanting it to be um, something, you know, where we can spotlight people who are nationally known like Beth Moens, but then also feature some people who maybe haven't been in the national spotlight as much, or even some women who work in sports at Oklahoma State. So um, I'm looking forward to maybe those kinds of interviews in the future too. Never announce who a guest is before you have the interview locked down. Rule yes. number one of interviews. If you do, it will not work or happen or be on time. I've learned that rule <laughs> I don't know how many times on my own. Never. So you're good. You don't have to say names. But never do it. It always backfires. Um, yeah, as far as people connected to Oklahoma State, you know, we can, uh, I'm sure you're pretty set in that. We'd be happy to help, though, if you need it. Um, Hallie, this has been awesome. You are fantastic. I, again, I've enjoyed following your work and look forward to seeing uh, what comes next with Scrap the Playbook. Thank you both so much for the support. And I really appreciate, like I said, you just taking the time to feature me on this podcast episode and taking the time to follow my work and check out the website. It's all awesome. And I'm always happy to talk about it. So thank you uh, so much. Yeah, absolutely. Before you head out, do a quick social media plug for yourself, for people, anyone that doesn't follow you and where can everyone follow the site? Yeah, so my personal Twitter is just at Hallie Hart. So it's H-A-L-L-I-E-H-A-R-T. And then um, my website it's just at scrap playbook on twitter and then our instagram page is at scrap the playbook the whole title would not fit in a twitter handle so that's why it's just at scrap playbook on twitter and then the website is scrap where you can see the content and listen to the podcast episodes too all right awesome hallie thank you so much thank you i appreciate it with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Philip and I are now joined by Kelly Hines. She is now a three-time guest on this podcast. She is the uh, sports writer for the Tulsa World covering TU football and basketball. Joining us once again, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Three, that's it? I feel like... It seems like more than that. I mean, I know you've been on my show, and... Maybe just because you and I have talked enough times that it feels like it's been more times. I don't there, know. There might have been a fourth time where I wasn't there, and I think Philip just handled the interview. Either way, it's been multiple time guests. Okay. Yeah, I think we can agree on that. Yeah. I always love having Kelly here. Uh, always fun. Always fun talking about your cats beforehand. We can talk about cats later, but I want to talk about <laughs> the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Um, so before we get into the team uh, and preview the, uh, the season opener for Oklahoma State on the 12th, Tulsa back practicing after, uh, after some issues with the coronavirus. Uh, they shut practice down uh, temporarily. Kind of walk us through how that whole thing went. We've seen teams, similar situation. You, you get enough cases that, that they get concerned. They shut practice down for a few days. I love how they always use the word indefinitely, as Joel and I were saying. It's just the most like, terrifying like time period words you could throw in which is indefinitely which just really sounds like forever uh but apparently it only means like a couple days when it comes to this stuff but you know what was what's the process that tu is going through as far as handling the coronavirus and handling uh players and and is, is this just a I think when I saw that come down, I don't know why I was like more concerned, probably just because Oklahoma State's supposed to open them and I want to make sure that that game still happens. Like what's the vibe around the program as well as with, with, with everything going on with this stuff? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the results came as like the, you know, it was the second round of testing. So once the um, athletes got back to campus, you know, over the summer, late summer, whenever that was, uh, they did the first round of testing then. And they had, you know, three players test positive and like one employee. So, you know, they, uh, those guys and, um, you know, I assume all of those were football players because the football players were tested first. They were the only ones around then. So those uh, were cases that recovered. And then um, they get to last week and more athletes have come onto campus. And so they wanted to retest and it kind of was a good time to do that, um, especially with football, because they had the team had taken a break anyway um, for a couple of days because uh, Philip Montgomery's mother passed away, and so he went back to Texas for you know to to be with his family and for the service and everything. So it was kind of a good time to do testing. So they took you know a couple of days off for that. And then, you know, obviously the the test results take a few days um, to come back. So, uh, you know, they had eight players, eight football players um, test positive. Uh, No other athletes tested positive. Um, And then there were eight, an additional eight players, uh, football players who had been determined to be, you know, in direct contact roommates or whatever with, with those eight. So they, you know, went ahead and put those eight in isolation and, um, then, you know, after about week, eight or nine days, you know, they, uh, they decided that things were at a stable enough point to resume practice because the eight players who had been exposed, you know, had tested negative twice since then. And the rest of the team had tested negative twice. And, you know, they tested everybody, you know, around the team, just like everybody's doing, I think. So they felt like things were at an okay point to move forward. Um, and those eight players are, are still uh, in quarantine, the ones who tested positive. Uh, I assume that, as has been the case, I think, with most uh, of the non-con opponents for, for the Big 12, uh, Tulsa is meeting essentially the Big 12's expectations, which would be Oklahoma State's, as far as testing um, so that they can ensure that this game happens on the 12th. Yeah, and, and the American has their own, uh, you know, protocols. Uh, every, you know, the players and coaches, all of the staff, they have to be tested um, 72 hours before each game. Um, and so, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, I, I think I think that should be happening anyway before games. Um, and so, you know, whether that's the Big 12 or whoever, you know, the, it worked out for Tulsa because they were planning to, to do that anyway. So, I think it fits along with that. And, you know, Tulsa 
I'm sure is planning to pay for their share. I mean, they're, I know that their tests are $70 a piece and that's a lot of money, <laughs> but it'd be a lot of money that they'd be missing out on if they didn't have a football season. So, you know, it's what everybody's dealing with right now. So let's talk about the season and this game. Um, I'm going I'm to be honest. I, I should have done more research on Tulsa. I usually am up to date on what's going on in Tulsa. Um, I, I feel like I'm supposed to apologize for using a newborn as an excuse for things, but I'm not. I mean, that's a pretty good excuse, though. I'm going to use it and, and just ask, you know, Philip Montgomery, this is year, what, six for him? Um, after a nice start of, of one, year one and year two, he's gone two and ten, three and nine, four and eight. Uh, it, it's been underwhelming at this point. Um, what are what are expectations for Tulsa this season? You know, I think in a normal year, it would be, um, you know, if if TU doesn't make it to a bowl game, um, you know, I I think that that would be. Um, I wouldn't say just like an automatic case for, for firing him. It just, you know, the reason he was retained after last season was, you know, they were competitive in most of those games. Um, You know, most of their league losses were by eight points or fewer. You know, they obviously had some heartbreaking losses, uh, missed field goals and all of that um, in conference play. Um, But, you know, what's going to be difficult, difficult about this season is, you know, to have two, home non-conference games canceled that really you know were games that were I have a kitten playing in the background that's a lovely (laughs) sound um uh those were games that Tulsa could have won you know and so now you have uh two um non-conference games that are both going to be on the road um obviously the game at OSU and then you play at Arkansas State which that's a pretty good opponent and you're playing at their place so um and I you know playing in the American is is tough uh you know, and Tulsa has a, a, a difficult schedule, difficult slate in that every year. So uh, to make it to a bowl game, um, you know, to finish over 500, if there even are bowls, but if, if you're, you know, thinking that TU has to get to 500 for Philip Montgomery to keep his job, you know, that's, that's a lot to ask with the schedule being what it is when you take away two games that I, I think they could have won and probably would have won. But um, I think the expectations are still, you know, definitely higher than what they've been the last couple of years because you have a pretty good returning quarterback. You have really excellent running backs, um, a lot of weapons at receiver. Um, the defense has been much better in the last couple of years than what it was previously. Um, since they, you know, went to the three three five, it's it's been a lot better. Um, and you know, there are some pieces that they have to replace there, but. I think uh, the expectations were, you know, there are guys to, to move into those roles. So um, I still think that this is uh, Phillips most complete team since, you know, the 10 win season in, in 2016. Um, I just think the schedule is going to make things, uh, you know, difficult to, to get to that 500 mark. It's not impossible. I still would probably, if I had to guess, I'd still probably say that, that they would get to that point, but it's certainly not going to be easy. Yeah, so running down the schedule, they, they start their season as of now on the road at Oklahoma State on the 12th of September. Uh, two weeks later, they go on the road to Arkansas State. Then they go on the road to UCF. That's the start of their schedule. That's awful. Um, and they get Cincinnati at home at USF, East Carolina at home at Navy, SMU at home, Tulane at home and at Houston. So, I mean, on, on the benefit, they get some of the better teams as far as conference play. Cincinnati, they get at home. Uh, SMU, they get at home. Those are good. Uh, I think for them, man, that is, they have to pay Houston, Navy, U, uh, SMU, Cincinnati, and UCF. Good grief. That is not nice. Um, looking at that, is Tulsa looking to add uh, to fill any of the, the, the vacated non-conference spots? I know they lost the home games against Toledo and, and Northwestern State. Are they planning to add a game in, in one of the ones that they lost just to get a home game early, or are they just going to run with the schedule that they have in front of them? I think they're okay with it at this point. Um, you know, it would be difficult at this late stage. And, you know, I think they're honestly, as much as you hate to not have a non-conference or not have a home game until like the middle of October, that also means you don't have to figure some things out for a while. You don't have to figure out what your, uh, 
you know, how many fans are going to allow there. And, and, you know, it just, you can put that off for a while, but you know, the other thing that kind of plays a role is, is to use athletic director is leaving, you know, he just took another job. He, he's leaving uh, a position with NCAA. So um, he's trying to tie up some loose ends, but you know, there are some, uh, you know, especially at a, you know, school like Tulsa, it's the smallest FBS school uh, to use athletic director doesn't even have like a secretary. Like there are, roles that you know are different at a smaller school and and I think the logistics of trying to get a um a team in and schedule that game I I think it's probably too ambitious at this point um and I think they're okay with that I mean to have 10 games um you know certainly could be a lot worse like knock on wood you talk about how brutal the schedule is for Tulsa to at least start the season, but where do you think this team stacks up in the American Conference? It's, you know, it's, it's group of five, but it's a really good conference top to bottom for the most part. But where, where do you think they stack up this year compared to other years? Man, it's just – it's tough to say. You know, now that the American um, is going away from divisions, um, you know, there, there are probably more question marks in the East than, than there, you know, and what would have been the East than, than what there was in the West. Um, and then you take away UConn and, and that was uh, a program that even with, with Tulsa's losses, you know, the last few years, you still felt like they were better off than UConn. So I think, um, you know, going into the season, it, you know, Tulsa would probably be viewed near the bottom, but I still feel like there's a lot of potential there. Um, it just, you know, potential is another way of saying it may pan out, it may not. <laughs> um, but I, I still think the American, you know, it's, I think it's very obvious that uh, the American is the best, you know, group of five conference. And, you know, it, I don't really buy into the power six, but I do think that, you know, there's five conferences at the top, then the American, and then, you know, the others underneath that. And I think it's just very difficult for, for Tulsa to compete at times, you know, with, with um, especially schools like Houston and UCF and USF, like, you know, those are programs and schools that are so much bigger and, and recruit differently. I mean, same with Memphis. I, I just think it's, you know, kind of a, a challenge for Tulsa to get near the top, um, on a consistent basis in the league. Let's let's talk about this Tulsa team. They return, as far as I know, nine starters on offense from last season. Is is that mean? What should we expect from the offense this year? Is this an offense that's ready to, to take a step forward? I know they got a returning quarterback, which is big. Zach Smith had a, had a nice season last year. Like, what are what are the strengths of this offense, and and what should we expect to see from it? You know, I think. A lot of it, a lot of it is going to depend on the offensive line, um, which you know was pretty inexperienced going into last year, and um, you know that it was painful to watch at times. You know Zach Smith getting sacked 39 times, not really ideal. That you know, Michigan that, State game. Was... The Michigan State game was brutal. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of one of those moments where you're like, e, yeah, that's just make it stop. Yeah, that was very oh. painful. Um, and then you know. Zach Smith just trying to figure some things out. You know, I, I think uh, trying to figure out how to get the ball out of his hands faster and, and make, you know, quicker decisions. Um, there are a lot of things at play there. But, um, you know, I think expecting that offensive line to be, you know, a lot better going into this year, I, I think that's – it's got to be better um, because everything else is pretty solid. I mean – a lot of running backs who are talented. Um, Shamari Brooks, Corey Taylor, the uh, second TK Wilkerson, Chris Lovick, um, Daenerys Prince, who transferred from Texas A&M, um, Anthony Watkins, who transferred from Missouri. Um, if he gets a waiver uh, anyway, they've got a lot of weapons there. Um, and Zach Smith, I think when he has time, um, he's on the money. Uh, he's a really good passer. Um, it's just if he doesn't have time, things go awry, you know, very quickly, which I think we saw last season. So um, he has some good receivers. They need to be more consistent. Um, but I do think that the weapons are there um, for the offense to, you know, really get back to how it was several years ago under Dane Evans um, with him at quarterback. And, you know, if you go back and look at the Tulsa East Carolina game, which was the last game of the season last year, 
I mean, the offense just went crazy. And it was kind of like, okay, yeah, that's how they should have been all season. It took way too long to get there. But, uh, you know, all of those guys are back and they should be better. So um, just, you know, thinking that they can build off a performance like that. I know they talked about that, you know, going into uh, the offseason, going into spring ball, which was like, you know, two days or whatever. Um, it's hard to generate momentum uh, with, you know, a pandemic and everything. But I do think that they are kind of thinking, you know, if we could go do that in a game that, you know, Tulsa wasn't. I don't even know if Tulsa was favored to win that game. And it was an extremely dominant win. Um, I think that they're thinking, okay, we, we can put this together in 2020. So do you think Zach Smith is the unquestioned starter at quarterback? Or do you think there's, you know, a little bit of a, going to be a little bit of a competition here over the next couple of weeks with Seth Boomer, or is it pretty much Zach Smith's job? And, you know, we just go from there. I think that it's Zach Smith's job. I think that if, Zach got injured or if a change needed to be made, I think they would feel very comfortable with Seth Boomer. Um, they're, you know, different style of quarterbacks. Um, Seth is a bit more mobile, um, which can be a good thing, um, especially, you know, if the offensive line uh, isn't quite, you know, where it needs to be. Uh, but I think they're, they're feeling like with Zach um, and his ability to throw the ball, I, I think that that's, you know, the way they want to play. So, you know, I, I, I would be pretty surprised if they went a different direction. Um, it seems very obvious that he's the guy at this point. So defense, we talk about offense. They were learning a lot. Defense only returns three starters from last year. Tulsa has been playing decent defense over the last couple of seasons, you know, which is really reverse of what we're used to with Tulsa. Um, it's a lot of new to deal with in a season where you don't have a lot of time to deal with it. Um, what is a realistic expectation from the Tulsa defense this season? And what would you say is the strength of the team? You know, they have, uh, you know, very few returning starters, but they still have 11 guys who have started at least one game in their career um, just because they, you know, they've had uh, a lot of injuries and they've managed to build some depth. And so they have, you know, most of the guys who are going to be in starting roles, like, they've played quite a bit. So it's a bit deceiving, you know, the whole returning starter thing, because, you know, Reggie Robinson, the second, you know, gets drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. So you're thinking, okay, well, they're going to take a, a step back at cornerback. Um, and, you know, maybe they will, but they still have basically two returning starters to that position um, because they had a guy who was out, you know, last season because of an injury. So um, that's probably the strongest position. Um with a Caleb Evans and um, Allie Green the fourth, um, they are guys who have played a ton in their careers. I mean, they're playing um, as true freshmen. So, um, you know, they're very confident. Um, and I think that's what you need in a cornerback. They're, they're, you know, especially Allie Green. He, he is the biggest trash talker on the team, but I think you need that, you know, I think they need that sort of edge at times. Um and so, you know, that's, that's a position that I, I think is going to be pretty solid, um, you know, defensive line, you know, they're still trying to figure some things out there because they lost Travis Gibson, who, you know, got drafted by the Chicago bears. Um, and they have pieces, you know, that they can work with. They're just trying to get it all together and defensive line. When you play a three man front, like that's gotta be really solid. Um, so they're still trying to work that out, but uh, you know, probably the, the guy who I would say is the most talented on the team is um, Zaven Collins and he's a linebacker. And um, I think out of everybody on the team, he has the uh, best chance to play in the NFL. Um, maybe more than any guy I've covered at Tulsa, um, extremely high ceiling. So, um, you know, when you have a guy like that uh, playing linebacker, um, you surround him, you know, with some other good pieces and, you know, you hope for the best. So, I think that they have, um, you know, there's that word potential, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that they have some ability there. Um, they have some good safeties. You know, I, I think that they have enough to uh, build around. And, and I think a lot of that starts with corner and linebacker. So, uh, Joel, do you have anything? Uh, yeah. So if you could you know, name maybe one guy on offense and defense who maybe people don't know a lot about or, 
of, you know, a younger guy that's kind of sh- that's shown something a little bit early on that we all may know by the middle of the season, uh, maybe a you know, lesser known commodity right now uh, for Tulsa. Who would those guys be, do you think? Um, man, on offense, I feel like a lot of the guys are known because they are all returners. Um, who I've been really impressed with uh, during fall camp, you know, which has been only a few days, but, um, you know, Philip Montgomery's son, Cannon, is, uh, you know, a little slot receiver um, who is actually really skilled and has made probably the best catches um, of fall camp to this point, which, like I said, has been only a few days. It seems like longer, though. Um, and he's also the team's holder, and he's just, you know, it's a great story. Like, he's, he's you know, this – coach's son and he's a walk-on but then when you watch him you're like actually he's he's uh crafty because he has to work really you know when you're like a 510 white dude like you have to work really hard to uh get open and and to make catches and um I just really enjoy watching him play because I know how much it means to him and I know how hard he must have to work um defensively um man uh Colin Wick is a guy who, um, you know, they need him to play well. I mean, he's um, defensive end who's, uh, you know, moving into Travis Gibson's role. Um, he's super athletic, uh, very explosive. Um, and I think that he's a guy who could have a good season, um, but they, they really need that from him. Um, so he's definitely one that, that I would uh, point out, a guy to watch on defense. Anna Montgomery, insert every white slot receiver cliche you could possibly have. <laughs> for Coach's son, first one in, last one out, crafty, yeah. sneaky, athletic. Insert. <laughs> In, yeah. yeah. First, all right, lunch pay, brings his lunch panel's hard hat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'll, I'll wrap on this. Uh, as I mentioned, Philip Montgomery, last three seasons haven't been great, but as, as you mentioned, they went four night last year, but they had some – Really disappointing close losses. They lost in overtime to SMU in a game that they had and somehow blew. Uh, they had the – was it the one-point loss to Memphis? Was the other Memphis was the one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they had some really close games. They had some really competitive games. And I, as bad as that Michigan State game was, it's not like Michigan State put up a ton of points on them. I, it was kind of those where the defense didn't play terrible, but the offense literally was just um, Montgomery's contract goes through the 2021 season. I am of the opinion that no G5 school will be hiring a new head coach this upcoming offseason unless a P5 one poaches them. Um, I just don't, with the money issues from the coronavirus, I just don't anybody firing anybody um, unless something is just awful. Do you see a situation where, or is there a, a bar that if Tulsa falls low enough below that they would actually go and look for a new head coach in this offseason? I don't think so. And, and not just for the reasons that you mentioned, you know, like I said, TU, you, you know, TU's athletic director is leaving. Uh, TU also has an interim president, you know, those are things that uh, are going to play a role in, in big decisions that are made. Like I don't see an interim president, you know, firing a football coach. I don't see an interim athletic director firing a football coach. You know, I just, I think that uh, in a lot of ways, you know, 2020, I, you don't get like a free pass or anything, but I don't think that you can uh, really make huge decisions um, unless it's just like super obvious, you know, we've got to do this. You know, if, if TU doesn't win a game all season, then, you know, you probably are going to have to make a move. But um, I, I think that you're right. I I think that it's going to be tough to, to base a lot off a season like this um, because I mean, think about it. If, if, you know, if your best player gets coronavirus and, you know, misses three games or whatever, I mean, you, there's so many things that could still happen. Um, I just, I, it would be surprising to me if um, TU had the kind of season that would absolutely warrant uh, a, a big decision to be made. And then when you factor in, you know, that the people making big decisions, those roles are, you know, kind of up in the air. I, I just don't see it. I figured it makes sense, but you know, it's, 
it's worth the ask. So. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, hit it, Joel. Uh, Kelly, do, before we get you out of here, do you have any sort of prediction for this game? I know score might be tough right now, it's because we're three weeks out and there's still a lot of unknown. But can you give any? Do you have any idea maybe of how this game could go? Because we're we're making this our Tulsa preview, so we got to we got to <laughs> have something for you. Um, I do think it'll be somewhat high scoring. You know, I, I think that uh, from Tulsa's perspective, it's going to be difficult to stop. You know, obviously everything that OSU has on on its offensive side of the ball, I think that's going to be a lot for this defense, um, you know, especially a game being played in Stillwater, regardless of how many people are there. It's, it's still, you know, big time atmosphere. Um, I, I think it's, that's, that's a tough challenge in your first game. Um, I do think that Tulsa will be able to uh, put some good drives together. I, I think that they have that kind of skill on offense. Um, I don't think it'll be like a crazy shootout, but I, I think it'll still be some touchdowns. That's my prediction. All right. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Before you leave, where can everyone follow you on social media and follow your work? Um, Twitter is a good place for things like that. Um, my handle is Kelly Hines TW. Uh, also, TulsaWorld.com is a good place to read stories about all sorts of topics, in, including uh, TU football. Uh, also, if you're a big cat fan, Kelly Hines is a, a cat rescuer and a fan of cats. Uh, Kelly, if people want to watch, check out all the cat photos that you post. Uh, where can they do that? Um, Instagram, I feel like, is is a better place for, for cat videos. We talked about TikTok earlier. I'm not uh, hip enough for that. Maybe someday. Um, Kelly Elaine is my Instagram handle. It's just cute cat photos. Like It's just, it's it's just, just cat stuff. It's, I mean, that's why I follow on Instagram. It's just all the cat photos. <laughs> Yeah, anything uh, like work-related, you know, there are other places for that. <laughs> Kelly, it's always a pleasure. Love having the time to talk with you and uh, hope to do, hope to have a reason to do so again uh, during the season. Oh, for sure. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Kelly. Have a great one. You too.